children can be dismissed for children's church. And the rest of us, if you would, grab a Bible if you have one with you or if you see one in the pew in front of you and find the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Our passage today is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. It's a long passage today. Since it's so long, I'm not going to ask that you stand today, but um, just listen as I read to you from God's word from Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. Paul writes, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now I'd like for you to pray with me that God would illuminate this text to us this morning. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you for your word. And as that song we just sang stated, we ask and we pray that you would open our eyes and our ears so that we could see and hear you. Lord, help me to serve your people well. Uh, May we all walk away from this morning with clear instruction and understanding of what you have said to us in your word. May we be transformed. And as we approach this new year, may we actually really change in real, practical, and deep heart ways. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So I chose this passage because this is the last Sunday of 2012. And I know many of us will be making New Year's resolutions or maybe have already made some New Year's resolutions or maybe have already failed at our New Year's resolutions before 2013 has even gotten here. I like to share with you every year the top 10 resolutions for the new year. I always get these from this website, 43things.com. It's a website uh, committed to people who are setting goals for themselves. 
So here's their top 10. See if any of these are on your list, if you've made any resolutions. Okay, I'll, I'll go backwards. So the number 10 resolution for 2013 is to read 50 books. It's very specific. Read 50 books, read more. Uh, number nine, quit smoking. Number eight, volunteer. Number seven, run a 5K. Number six, this was on here last year, and I think it's a really funny one. Number six, be happy. As if we could just, all right, I'll be happy now. Like it was something we could just turn a switch on. Number five, travel. Number four, fall in love. Number three, get a job. Number two, save money. And number one, can you guess it? Lose weight. That's right. A lot of people splitting through their pants out there. Now, we, we enter into this every year and we make resolutions. It's a new year. It's a fresh start. We want to change and improve. But the statistics overwhelmingly are clear that we all almost always fail at our New Year's resolutions. Hardly anybody keeps them. I think the statistics say that the best usually can make it through February. And then we're back into our old ways and our own habits. So... Uh, I wanted to bring you a passage today that's about change to help us think about change and personal improvement as Christians. So we're going to see in this passage three things about change. We're going to see that Christians do need change, that Christians can change, and that Christians must change. So this passage written about Real life change is written to real Christians who really needed to grow and to improve and to change in really practical ways. So I think this is going to be helpful to us. So this first idea, Christians need to change. Look back with me at verse 17. Paul writes, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, Now, the Gentiles, that's what they called everyone who was not Jewish. So historically, the Gentiles were all the people that were not God's people. The Gentiles were the ones who did not know God. They had no relationship with God. They were on their own. Okay, so Paul is writing to this group, and we know that they're Christians because the way he introduces his letter in the very first chapter, first verse, he says, to all the saints in Ephesus. So he's writing to a church of Christians. And he's saying, you guys are living like non-Christians. You're living like you don't even know God. You don't even know the Lord. You need to change. Um, so the very first, first point is very simple. Christians are not perfect people. I don't know if that comes a shock to any of you. Uh, it shouldn't, but I think it bears being reminded Because you're here sitting in these pews, because you call yourself a Christian, even a member of Doolin's Grove, does not mean that you're presenting yourself as a perfect person. Christians are not perfect people. I've talked to many folks, even in this church, who have hesitated to be baptized because, yes, they wanted to follow Jesus and they wanted to trust Jesus, but they were afraid that they were going to be so imperfect after their baptism that they would ruin it. But Christianity is not about you being perfect. It's about Jesus having been perfect on your behalf. 
So I don't expect perfection from you guys, and I hope you don't expect perfection from me. We need to adjust our expectations because this idea that all Christians are a bunch of hypocrites, they go to church and they call themselves Christians, and yet they're imperfect, therefore they're hypocrites, is just false. And I have people very close to me who will not go to church because they've run into a lot of very messed up Christians. So just to be clear, Christians are messed up people. That's why we need Christ. So we come to Christ as imperfect people. We're coming to the perfect one to be changed, to be forgiven, and to be made new. So Christians do indeed need change. Christians are imperfect people in both their character and their behavior. So let's look at the character problems that these Christians were facing. Paul said, uh, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous. Okay, that's not a very flattering portrait. Paul says, you're acting like you don't know Christ. You are, you're, you're characterized by futility of thinking. You're not thinking right. Uh, darkened understanding. Alienated from the life of God. You're, you're living as though you're not even connected to the new life of God. Ignorance, hardness of heart, callousness. You know, when you get a callus on your hand from, from work, it's, it becomes insensitive. You don't feel anymore the damage that... He's talking about you don't feel anymore the damage that your sin is creating for you and for the people around you. It's possible for Christians to live this way. Let's look at their sinful behavior. That's their character. He goes on to talk about their behavior in the following verses. So they have become callous... And have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. They, they just do what feels good to them. And they begin to crave it more and more. Things that are impure. Just things that taste good, feel good, look good, sound good. Living like unbelievers. Living like they haven't been transformed by Christ. So this first point is very simple. Christians are not perfect. You need to accept that. If you, if you do hope to change, you need to accept the fact that you're not yet perfect. Does anyone in here think that they are perfect? If so, raise your hand, because if you're perfect, you could probably defend your claim really well. Okay, I don't think anybody in here thinks that they are already perfect. Okay, so that means that we all do need change. Okay. So, Christians need change. The good news, Christians can change. In a world where we all almost universally fail in our self-improvement endeavors, Christians, you have the resource necessary to actually change, to actually improve your character and your behavior. Let's keep reading. So Paul outlines all these things that they're they're living in these uh, bad ways. And then in verse 20, he says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt 
through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, Christianity provides a richer resource for real change than any other program out there. No other self-help program or religion offers the resource for real change that Christianity does. You know what it is? It's a new identity. You see, in Christ, we don't come to him and then receive a list of ways to improve. We come to him and become completely transformed out of our old nature into a new nature, a new identity. That's why when you read any of Paul's letters, you'll notice that he stacks the beginning of them up with all this truth about what Jesus has already done for you in forgiving you and cleaning you up and and transforming you into this new creation, this uh, new creature who is in God's eyes righteous and holy. He always builds this beginning of his letters with that. And then he transitions into how to live accordingly. In Romans, it's in chapter 12. In Galatians, it's in chapter 5. Here in Ephesians, it's in chapter 4. When he turns, he turns from, this is already true of you in Christ. You've been made new. Now live according to that new nature. In uh, Philippians, it's in chapter 2. Colossians, it's very clear in chapter 3. Go look at it sometime and you'll see it. So Paul began Ephesians by outlining all these things that are already true about you in your new identity in Christ. Now, I just want to walk you through these things that are true about you. Now, I know I, I, it's dangerous anytime I do this, if there's a long list of things, because it might bore you and you might phase out. Uh, don't phase out. Hear this list of things. If you are a Christian, don't just hear this as a list that some guy's reading. Hear this as things that are absolutely true about you. You personally, these things are absolutely true about you. In Christ, God has already given you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, chosen you before the foundation of the world that you should be holy and blameless before him, predestined you for adoption as sons according to the purpose of his will, redeemed you through Jesus' blood, forgiven your trespasses according to the riches of his grace, revealed to you the mystery of his will according to his purpose, given you an inheritance, sealed you by the Holy Spirit, brought you to life, seated you with Christ, lavished his mercy, love, and grace upon you, and promised to lavish it upon you even more in the future, brought you near by the blood of Christ, gave you bold and confident access to himself and made you citizens of his kingdom. Done. Already done. You know, this whole idea of New Year's resolutions began way back. I did a little research. This isn't something I already knew. This idea of New Year's resolutions began like 4,000 years ago with the Babylonians. And for them, they weren't just resolutions. They were promises that they made to their gods in hope that their gods would then favor them in the upcoming year, give them a better harvest or whatever. That is the exact opposite of Christian resolve to change. See, Christians can 
change because God has already favored us. He's already done all of this. And now we have this new identity as citizens and sons and alive spiritually. It's already ours. Second Corinthians 5.17 says it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So hang with me on this. It's another movie illustration. I can't help myself. Christians are sort of like Captain America. Did anybody see the new Captain America movie? Come on, somebody. Mike almost is raising his hand. Okay, it's fine. I gotta get you guys a DVD player. Captain America, the story is this scrawny kid undergoes this military medical experiment by which he is transformed into this incredibly muscular soldier. This athletic, amazingly physically able soldier, okay? So he enters this this machine, a scrawny kid, and it does its thing, and he comes out, and he's like Matt Broadway looking. Now, when he steps out of the machine, he doesn't have to work out to become strong. He has received a new nature. He is already incredible, He's already incredibly muscular. It's his new self. So all he has to do is learn how to live accordingly. I think the the subtle uh, shift that many of us need to make in our minds in order to actually change is that you're already new. You are already this new person. This Christ-like man or this Christ-like woman that you wish that you could become, in a very real sense, that's already you. Now just live in light of that fact. Just become who you already are. Because Jesus has already transformed you. All that old stuff that you need to shed and leave back in 2012, it's already gone. It's already removed as far as the east is from the west. Forgiven. Cleansed. Now let's move forward into 2013 in light of that fact. This is what Paul meant in Romans 6, if any of you remember Romans 6. Um, This passage in Romans 6 is very important to me. Um, This was one of the first passages that I ever memorized. I'm not good with memory. I don't have a lot of scripture memorized, but this is one that I did commit to memory long ago um, when I was really struggling with sins and habits that I could not stop. I wanted to change and improve, and I just couldn't seem to do it. And this passage really helped me. So here's what Paul writes in this passage. He says, How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, by baptism into death in order that Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And then he goes on, but... The idea is 
the sins that you struggle with, you're already dead to them if you are in Christ. That has already happened. In reality, these sins don't have control over us, even though they feel like they do. All the hard work has already been done. So I've used this illustration before, but it helps me think clearly about it. The reason Christians can change is because of this. Uh, Imagine that you're a tree, okay? You're a tree and this parasitic vine has grown and completely covered you. And it's destroying you. It's, It's choking the life out of you. Okay, so this vine that has grown up over you is all of your sin, all the things that you can't stop, the things that are destroying your life and your relationships. When you come to Christ, when you are regenerated, reborn, renewed in Jesus, when you first take that step of placing your trust in him and committing to follow him, it's as though God comes and he severs the roots of that parasitic vine around the base of your tree. Okay, can you picture this? Now, The vine does not immediately just plop off of you, but its life source is gone. So the whole rest of your life as a Christian is a process of peeling this dead vine off of you and growing. So that's why Christians aren't immediately perfect, yet they can change. The old nature has been killed. The new nature has been reinvigorated. So Christians need to change And Christians actually can change because God has made it possible for us in Christ. And finally, Christians must change. Uh, I don't want you to mistake this truth that we're all imperfect for an excuse to be relaxed about our sin and about our growth in Christ-likeness. Christians absolutely must change. It's a necessity. It's, you, you can't just say, well, this old vine is going to fall off over time, so I'm just going to relax. Paul goes on to say back in Ephesians, find it. After all this he said that is true about your old self and your new self and putting off the old and putting on the new, then he goes into this really practical list of things that need to change for these Christians. So I want to work through these real briefly. Maybe these will bring to your mind things that you really do need to change. Because I don't expect you to be perfect, but I do expect you to be progressing. Okay? So starting in verse 25, Paul lists out six very real, very practical areas in which these Christians need to change. See if any of these stand out to you. Verse 25, he talks about our words. Think about your words. He says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So the old nature is characterized by falsehood. Falsehood is not just outright lies. It's any way in which we misshape other people's perceptions. So falsehood is is lies. It's also um, presenting yourself in a way that's not actually true so that people would think well of you. Um, Just whatever's not true, but false. This old self needs to be put away, Christians, and you can put it away. And you, you can become a true person. Another one, anger. 
in verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. This wasn't on the top 10 list of resolutions, be angry. It's strange to see it here in the Bible as a command, be angry and don't sin. And a lot of translators, maybe you have, I think the NIV does this. They try to soften it to where it says, more or less, if you get angry, don't do it sinfully. But that's just not the way the original language reads. It says, be angry and don't sin. So he doesn't elaborate on what he means by be angry, but he does elaborate on what he means by doing it without sinning. Uh, It means to be angry in a temporary way and in a careful way. He says, don't let the sun go down your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So maybe your problem that you need to leave behind in 2012 isn't your words. Maybe it's your temper. And maybe it's your anger. Maybe it's in the form of bitterness. Christian, if this is the case for you, you need to change. You need to leave that behind. And you need to step into your old, I mean, into your new nature. Another really practical one, work. In verse 28, he says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may, be, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So maybe for you it's not your words or your temper, maybe it's your work ethic. Maybe the old you is characterized by laziness or taking rather than hard work and giving. The language here is strenuous, it's labor, it's work, hard. If, if you're not exhausted afterwards, you're not laboring the way he's talking about. And do it with the goal of giving. This is the new you in Christ. Words, anger, work. He talks about words again in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And he talks about the Holy Spirit in verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I think what that's talking about, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and prompts us I think we grieve the Holy Spirit when we ignore the Holy Spirit. And then finally in, in uh, verses 31 and 32, he just sort of throws it all in there. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. Leave all that behind. That's no longer you. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That's the new you. So I wanted to list those out just to get you thinking practically about ways that you personally need to change. Now, if you've been with us for a while, you should be clear on this, but I want to reiterate it. We do not change and strive to improve in order to please God and earn his acceptance. God is already pleased with us and has already accepted us in Christ Jesus. We change and strive to improve in reaction to what he's already done for us. So if you're a Christian, you're already secure, you're already forgiven. Now live accordingly. So we all do need to change. If we are in Christ, we can change, and we must change. So my prayer for us as individuals and as a church 
as we transition out of this year and into a new one is that God will reveal to us specifics, things he wants to chisel off of us, vines he wants to pull down away from us in ways that we can live the new life more vibrantly. So I'd like to pray that for us now before we sing our closing song. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for everything that you have done for us in Christ Jesus. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for predestining us. Thank you for adopting us. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for bringing us near to you, making us citizens in your kingdom. Lord, please make clear in our minds and in our hearts where we stand with you. If there are those here who have struggled and they can't change or find any hope because they actually have not received all these blessings from Christ yet, please make that clear. Please make that miracle happen in their hearts right now. For the Christians in the room, please reveal to all of us the areas in which we're living according to our old natures. Please make concrete, crystal clear in our minds that that is not us anymore. Help us to see ourselves according to our new identity. Help us to really change and really grow so that this time next year we are not the same in our character and our behavior as we are right now, that we're better, we're more Christ-like. And Lord, finally, we ask all these things, not for our glory or so that um, we would be built up, but for your glory. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.